Welcome to the Dr. April Jasper Show, relevant conversations for business owners of today. Hi everyone, welcome back. I am excited because today we are on the show floor at Vision Expo West in Las Vegas and I'm here at the Reichert booth with my good friend, Dave Taylor. Hello April, how are you? I'm awesome, this is fun. Yeah, this is great. Um, you uh, gave a talk this morning on corneal hysteresis. You wanna give us a high level overview of uh, what you said this morning? Absolutely. At 7.15 this morning, we were talking about corneal hysteresis and the room was full. We had over 75 people in the room. And Dave, what was amazing is everybody wanted to learn about the topic. And the reason is we talked about how corneal hysteresis is one of the best predictors of glaucoma progression, as well as predicting whether or not someone's gonna even convert from a glaucoma suspect to glaucoma. Hmm. And there were so many people in the room that had no idea because they just are so glued still to the fact that IOP determined by Goldman tonometer is the gold standard. Mm -hmm. why, why do you think that happens? Well, I mean, uh, Goldman's been around forever and that's what everybody's trained on. And we recognize that as the gold standard and the ocular response analyzer that measures corneal hysteresis is based on air puff technology, which Reichert invented over 50 years ago now. That's incredible. So I think there's some stigma related to the older non-contact tonometers and whether or not they were accurate and so forth. But I think uh, you mentioned to me earlier that maybe only about 50% of the people in the room really felt like they knew a lot about corneal hysteresis. The education takes a long time, as you yeah. know. And uh, I think we just need to keep moving the needle on the education so that more people understand what it is and more importantly, how it's used. What was incredible this morning as well is that I think I was waving my hands around. I was so animated because when I see something that makes such a big difference in my practice, such as measuring corneal hysteresis mm -hmm. with the ocular response analyzer, I'm just passionate about it. And, and I wanted everybody to know this is, in my mind, a hidden secret. Well, isn't that what a secret is? Yeah. Yes. But I think in my mind, this is something that everybody was super excited about once they knew. And after the session was over, I had people say, I asked them, I said, did you learn anything you didn't know? And to the point you made, absolutely. Good. And we have one right here. I told them to come visit and see what it looks like. But I think for you guys, anybody listening, to know that you can have a way to be able to predict progression and the people that are going to convert. Oh, and the other thing is, can you tell, and I told them, of course, and I know the answer, can you tell which patients are gonna respond better to mm -hmm. treatment and which are not? Yep, that's that's an important thing. And even folks that know a lot about corneal hysteresis sometimes don't appreciate that. There's been a number of studies that show that patients with higher corneal hysteresis are generally your, um, your non-responders and patients with low corneal hysteresis respond well. And so I think that really makes a difference in decision-making. I mean, in your practice, can you, are there examples you have where hysteresis has made either the decision in diagnosing whether or not somebody has glaucoma or in a diagnosed glaucoma patient, how aggressively you treat them? In my practice, what's interesting, Dave, is I have a lot of people that come in that have been on treatment for glaucoma and they don't wanna be taking drops. And so a friend has told them or someone that they know has said, go see Dr. Jasper. She'll be able to help you to know if you really need to be taking this medication. So I have at least three that I can think of right off the top of my head where they've come in, they're on medication for glaucoma, but what we find is that they don't need to be because we look at their corneal hysteresis, we see that it's high, high is good, 
And we also see that their optic nerve is healthy. We see that uh, their vision is good. They're not showing any signs of damage on an OCT. So we stop the drops, have them come back, and we continue to monitor them. But I don't worry about them as much, and they're thrilled to know they can get off their medication. One of the questions we get a lot about use of the ocular response analyzer in clinical practice is, how do you use it? Do you use it on all your patients? Do you use it only on your glaucoma patients? How do you do it in your practice? In my practice, we measure corneal hysteresis on everybody. It's interesting too, because it's easy for children. We get a corneal compensated IOP, which is the IOP measurement that we use in the record. And kids love it. They have no issues with it. It's fast, it's easy. You can see the device here right behind me. The footprint is small. And you get all the data you need with just that measurement that day, which takes just seconds. So we measure corneal hysteresis on everybody in our practice. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about sterilization and the need to high-level disinfect instruments more aggressively than we did in the past. Uh, obviously, with COVID just, just behind us, there's still legitimate yeah. concerns about that. Does this instrument have any benefits to the practitioner with regards to not needing to high-level disinfect it and the speed and cost savings that comes along with that? I think what's really cool about measuring corneal hysteresis and the ocular response analyzer is I can get all the data I need to help predict glaucoma progression and to predict which patients are gonna respond well to treatment. But I also have no worries about it being um, clean and sanitary and sterilization because I just have to clean the headrest. It's a gentle puff of air and I don't have to worry about a tonometer tip not being disinfected properly. I think what's interesting, so I asked the class, I was gonna tell you, I actually polled the room today in our class and I said, how many of you really know how you're supposed to be disinfecting your current tonometers? Right. And I didn't put anybody on the spot, Dave, because I didn't want to show everybody to see how bad we all are at mm -hmm. doing that. But during COVID, to your point, we started researching and I actually told folks, I said, you should go around and ask the person that you work with that, that whatever tonometer you have, go ask them how you're supposed to be cleaning right. it. You'll be surprised. What do most people say? That most people use an alcohol wipe, you know, just a quick wipe and, and uh, the CDC and the American Academy of Ophthalmology do not recognize that, you know, yeah. it's a, really properly disinfecting a Goldman prism is about a 10 minute process. And uh, then, you know, alternately, you could use single-use disposable Goldman prisms, but those are over a dollar a piece, I think, and that's, yeah. that's going to drive up your, 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 your price and your practice. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are excited to have CooperVision as a sponsor of our podcast. CooperVision is one of the world's leading contact lens manufacturers, and they serve eye care professionals and patients in over 130 countries. Their innovative products help millions of patients see every single day. One of the technologies and innovations that we love the most about CooperVision is their groundbreaking technology in soft contact lenses that helps to slow the progression of myopia in children 8 to 12 years old at the initiation of treatment. You know, we talked about the patients where I'm able to take them off drops because I know their corneal hysteresis number, their measurement. I think other patients that are good to think about are the ones where you actually know they're going to respond well to treatment and so you don't have to worry as much about being aggressive with treatment so i have several of those as well and i love it i feel like i don't know how i would practice without it and i say that to a, like today in our class we talked about it i said 
I'm not trying to say you're not practicing appropriately, but I do want you to know that you don't know what you don't know. And this is so important. And then, uh, you know what I think really stood out today? One of the things that people are really intrigued by is new research that's coming out, and I want Dave to tell us more, that talks about the fact that corneal hysteresis may also be a predictor for those patients who are going to progress axial length elongation, those myopes that are gonna progress as well. Can you tell us any more about it, Dave? Yeah, it's a really interesting area and one that we're looking into. There's some research historically on this. We know that there's an association between axial length and corneal hysteresis. High myopes, people with long eyeballs have lower corneal hysteresis. And so wow. it makes sense that there's a relationship with the progression of myopia. There have been a couple of studies small scale studies that have looked at whether or not there's an association between myopia progression and corneal hysteresis, and indeed there is. In fact, there was one small longitudinal study where they followed some children over time, and they did show that baseline corneal hysteresis was associated with progression in myopia. So wow. a lot more research needs to be done, but, but I think it makes sense as to why that would be, and it's an exciting area for the future. Oh yeah, and I think that what's really cool is you go to practices like mine where we've been measuring corneal hysteresis for years, and I can go back and look at my myopes, I can look at those kids and I can see exactly what those correlations are. The, the challenge for me though is I didn't always have the ability to measure axial length. Right. So. It's gonna be great to have that research, I can't wait. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, a lot of optometrists don't do glaucoma or they don't get into it very deeply, uh, extensively. I think a lot of optometrists have a tendency to maybe be a little bit afraid when they have somebody and they're not quite sure what to do and they refer to a glaucoma specialist. Right. And so as an optometrist, do you think that this technology, ocular response analyzer and corneal hysteresis can help optometrists keep patients in their practice longer because of the, um, the extra information that you get and the extra confidence that you get from having these values. I think that what's amazing about corneal hysteresis and having this data is I have so much more confidence in decisions I'm making. Mm -hmm. And my patients love knowing that too. My patients love knowing that when they come to our practice, if there's anything I can have that's going to help me do a better job in managing their disease process, we're going to have it. And so they have confidence in me. I have more confidence. And I think that it all comes together when you see better outcomes for patients. I would encourage optometrists that are wanting to get into the business of treating glaucoma. I really want them to know that the technology you have makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Invest in the technology that will help. Do you get questions from patients about this technology? Because everybody's been measured by an air puff device at some point in their life. Do they ask you, right. how is this different? Or do, do they just take the measurement and that's it? Yeah. So my glaucoma patients that have been seeing someone else for glaucoma, what's interesting about them is they'll come in and they say, well, you measure things a little different. And so I actually walk them through why. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, I'm not just getting a pressure measurement. We're actually measuring your eyes dampening ability and they go what my what and i walk them through what that what that is and why it's important they're excited about it they want to know that this is they well most of them know it's a disease that's going to possibly have the risk of blindness so they're excited to know that there's technology that will help you to know ahead of time how aggressive you need to be with my treatment and that's the way i tell them is that this technology is going to help me to know 
how aggressive I need to be with your treatment. But remember, you have to be the one to put in the drops. So if you're not doing what you need to do, then I can't help you get to a place where we preserve vision at all times. You know, I find that a lot of glaucoma patients, my mom has glaucoma, are really well educated about their disease. Yeah. They at least know what their pressure is and they know why that's an important attribute of their condition and the control of their condition. Right. Do you uh, explain to the patients how the pressure measurement provided by this device differs and what that means to them personally? I explain to patients on a regular basis that their pressure measurements are going to be different because what happens is if they, so we're in Florida, you guys are in New York. Yep. I was born in New York, by the way, and I love it there. But what patients don't sometimes know, and some of them are very educated as to what that number should be. Some of them though, they'll have a doctor in their hometown. They come to Florida for the season or even for vacation and they need to come in and see us. They need to know, yes, to your point, Dave, that there is sometimes going to be a difference in that number and why that number is different and how it's helpful. I do try to be careful with the ones we call snowbirds that go back and sure. forth. I want to be a snowbird one day, by the way. Yeah, I aspire but to be that too. Exactly. We try to be careful though, because I don't want them to feel like they're not being cared for well somewhere else, but I do want them to know the value so how would you say that we should be explaining that difference? Give me a good script, Dave. Oh, I, I like to, to tell patients that, you know, measuring the pressure in the eye is kind of like measuring the pressure in your bike tire when you were a kid. You know, you squeeze the tire to determine if it's, if it's full or not. Yeah. Basically, that's what we're doing, a little bit more precision. But what's that tire made out of? That's going to affect how firm that tire feels, and it might not be related to how much air pressure is inside or kind of like yeah. squeezing a balloon versus squeezing a basketball. They could have the same pressure, right. but they're going to feel very different. So all these devices that measure your uh, intraocular pressure, some of them are, are really good at, at, at uh, doping out those properties and some of them are not. So right. this device is specifically designed to ascertain what those properties of your cornea are and yeah. take them out of the pressure measurements so that we're getting a more accurate picture of what your pressure really is and not worrying whether your eye skin is a balloon or a basketball. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. I love that. All right, so here's a question that came up today. If a person has low corneal hysteresis, mm -hmm. so we practiced and they all know low is bad, if they have low corneal hysteresis, does that mean they're just never going to have a good outcome with their glaucoma? No, not necessarily. Um, it's important to note that corneal hysteresis is not only associated with glaucoma, it's associated with keratoconus. Yes. It's low in patients that have yeah. had LASIK surgery. So you really need to know when you measure that patient if they've had previous refractive surgery or right. if they have keratoconus because they'll have low corneal hysteresis and that doesn't necessarily mean that, that those tissue properties are related to what's going on at the back of the eye. But let's assume we are talking about a, a person with a normal cornea that has glaucoma or right. glaucoma susceptibility. 
if they have low corneal hysteresis, that does not damn them to a future of, of yes. vision loss. Okay. It just means that the clinician needs to react earlier and perhaps more aggressively to make sure that their disease is in control because that eye has a higher tendency to progress more rapidly in glaucoma. Great explanation. So then what about uh, the, the relation of that to myopia? So we talked about it for a moment, but how does that mean that those patients could possibly be at higher risk for axial elongation? Yeah, if you're talking about children in particular, we just don't have all that data yet. There, you know, we know there's a relationship between um, axial length and glaucoma. Of course, axial length is myopia. So we know that children that have low corneal hysteresis Incredible. are probably more likely to develop myopia. We don't know to exactly what extent. We also don't know if that means they are more at risk of glaucoma in the future. We just don't have that type of longitudinal data available yeah. yet. It's exciting, though, to see where research is. So, you know what? One of the most interesting things that came up today, and I don't think a lot of people knew this either, and it's funny because David and I were just talking about it last night a little bit about how this does have an impact. So, my husband, David, you guys have Other the same David, name. I yes. Know. All right. So, this is the thing. Here's some interesting facts. Did you know that your eye pressure can go up, and it does go up when you blink? Yes. How many points? Quite a bit. Yeah, a lot. I mean, when you think about that, the eye is under constant assault. Correct. I've heard you say that before. Yep. I never really understood. Yep. And then eye rubbing. I looked up the studies on eye rubbing. Uh, 100. Holy cow. Yep. And they had three different types of, and I had to kind of walk through this, eye rubbing, eye rubbing, and then back of the wrist eye rubbing. Mm -hmm. And they said for people that rub their eye with the back of their wrist, their, their pressure can go up as high as 300 points. Right. That's incredible. Yep. Yeah, you're right. The eye is under a constant assault. Uh, and don't forget, every time your heart beats, it, you have an ocular pulse. It's sending shock waves through your eye. Uh, there's some theories about glaucoma progression more being a mechanical theory of progression that yeah. that constant abuse is just hammering those axons in the optic nerve and causing things to break. Yes. And um, that's, that is, that's a good explanation as to why corneal hysteresis, which is an indicator of the Bio, biomechanical tissue properties of not just the cornea, but the eye, because the cornea right. and the sclera are related. Embryologically, they come from the same place. Right. Um, that explains why low hysteresis is related to glaucoma progression, because it's telling you that you've got a weak ocular tissue structure, and that eye is more wow. susceptible to damage from all that constant assault. So you know when the wide field retinal imaging first came out, you would see people at the exhibit halls all the time, patients that are doctors, doctors showing up saying, take a picture of my eye. And for me, this is the number that everybody needs to know right. almost more than anything else that they have out that they have out here going on. So I think it's incredible. I have another question for you, and this is one that you're great at explaining and I'm not. So how exactly is the measurement obtained corneal hysteresis? Okay, well, I'll try to be succinct about it. <laughs> So the air puff hits the eye, and normally what would happen with a classic air puff tonometer is we would look at when the cornea became flat. We're doing that with an electro-optical system. So we're shining a beam of flashlight 
like a flashlight beam at the cornea and we're monitoring the reflected light. That's how we know the radius of curvature is changing and we can tell when the cornea becomes flat and we're measuring the pressure in the air jet with a pressure transducer at the same time. So in a classic NCT, that puff hits the eye, the cornea becomes flat. We take that pressure measurement at that millisecond in time and we stop right there. With the ORA, we call it a bi-directional applanation because the cornea goes in, it goes into a slight indentation, and then it comes back out again. So what goes up must come down, yeah. what goes in must come out. We get two applanations during that in and out travel. When you flex something rapidly that is viscoelastic in nature, very rapidly, you're going to get this hysteresis phenomenon. The word hysteresis is related to a damping characteristic or an energy absorption. It's what makes a shock absorber in a car work. If you didn't have shock absorbers in your car when you hit a bump, the car would just bounce up and down. The shock absorber absorbs the energy, stops the motion. So when we flex that cornea in and out very rapidly, we get an inward applanation and an outward applanation event, two flattenings, and the pressure that we record at those two events is offset. The inward is higher than the outward, which is lower. That delta, that difference, is the corneal hysteresis. Wow. And that is not a function of, of aqueous moving out of the anterior chamber that can't happen in 20 milliseconds it is a property of the tissue of the cornea absorbing and dissipating a portion of the applied energy incredible and all of it's done with this right auto aligning auto measuring technician friendly waveform score to tells you if it's a reliable measurement it really it's extremely complex what we're doing. Yeah. It's extremely complex to review all of the data and the science that's taken place over the past 20 years. It's really easy to use. You know, what I my final words to everybody in the room today were <clears throat> the way I look at things like this, I want to know the science, but once I know the science is there and that it truly can make a difference like this can make for our patients, corneal hysteresis is that important. It's one of those things where you know the data's there over 900. Correct papers. I mean, I, I've, I can't even begin to tell you how impactful it can be in your practice for your glaucoma patients. So I loved being a part of it. Thank you for having me. And Dave, I, most of all, thank you guys for doing the research and, and coming up with these kind of solutions for us to help in our practice. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really, really impressive to watch this develop over the years. Uh, Dave Luce, uh, the, the inventor, is no longer with us. He's deceased now, actually being inducted into the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame next week because he was involved in the development of synthesizers before he was involved in the development of this technology. Holy so cow. really fascinating stuff. And what I'm most proud of, I think what we're most proud of over all those years and all those publications, I think we've paid, Riker has paid for one clinical study. All yeah. of those studies that are out there are because of researchers that were passionate about understanding yeah. what this device was telling us. And all the conclusions point in the same direction. So I think that speaks volumes about the, the usefulness of the data that you've yeah. got so many different people looking at it from so many different angles and they reach the same conclusions. I love it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks, Dave, Thanks, for having April. me. It's been great having you here.